0: It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 5th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. How about putting a little zip in your files? No question that WinZip, which I discovered recently is now owned by the Corel Corporation, is certainly the best zip utility on the market. However, you may not need everything that WinZip does, or you may not have a budget for it. It doesn't cost a huge amount, but maybe you're looking for one that's free, and there's no shortage of those. So I thought this week we'd take a look at several of them. These are the ones that I found that look promising. FillZip, which probably ought to be called FileZip, but it's called FillZip. It's a file compression application available in both free and paid modes, and there's no difference between the two. Now, why would you offer a free version and a paid version? The author says this. He says he's not had a lot of spare time to do what he'd like to do with the application, so he's decided to offer this optional paid version. Paying the fee, he says, will be completely optional, and there will be no nagging dialogues of anything, just a notice during the install and perhaps a purchase paid license menu item. Also, the features of the two versions will be exactly the same. This is an experiment, he says, and if it works out, he may offer additional support for those who purchase a PhilZip paid version. And although all of these applications that I will be mentioning are free, most of them do allow you to contribute. That's not a bad thing to do. If somebody spent some time working on an application that does some good for you, drop a little money in their cookie jar. All of these applications support all of the major compression types and that's typically going to be ZIP, uh, probably RAR, CAB, uh, LHA, ARC, the, uh, uh, one of the older formats. They'll support all of those and usually they're going to support those for both compressing files and decompressing files. They may add additional support for some of the other formats and offer only extract from those formats. So you need to look at the specifications if you need something other than the the big three or four to see that the application you're looking at supports what you want to do with it. Another one that looked pretty promising, I thought, was called iZArc. It's Vista-compatible, lists 47 file types that it supports, including some of the formats that are used on CDs and DVDs. iZArc has a drag-and-drop interface, so you can simply drop files into the window you'll find that on some of the other applications also it uh, runs your installed antivirus scanner whenever you open any archives that's a good thing although if you have a decent antivirus program it's probably going to automatically examine any file that you write to the disk anyway i took a look at one called 7-zip it's open source software available in more than sixty languages 7-Zip compresses and extracts files in about half a dozen formats and then offers extract only from a dozen or so more. It integrates with the Windows shell and also includes its own file manager. There are uh, screenshots of all these on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com and links to places where you can download these files if you want to try them out. TugZip It provides support for more than two dozen file formats. It integrates with the Windows Explorer. And in addition to the usual formats, this one offers, again, the disk archive formats, the BIN, C2D, IMG, the ISO files, for example. There's one called Zip & Go. Here's an application free for personal use only. There is a fee if you want to use this in an office environment or for any kind of business or government agency. Zip and Go uses a My Documents approach to zip files, so unless you tell it otherwise, it's going to put all the zip files in a single directory. I don't like that. I don't use the My Documents directory for documents either. I tend to file documents by project, not by file type. It makes a lot more sense for me. To have all of the Foonman and Foonman files in a Foonman and Foonman directory, not have their graphics files in a Corel directory, their Word documents in a Word directory, and everything else in in some other directory and have them scattered all over the disk drive, I'd rather have all of the project-related files together. You may like files stored by file type. If you do... Then the built in feature here is going to work just great for you. Instead of working with your built in antivirus program, Zip and Go works with the virus scanner that Handybits makes, and Handybits is the company that makes Zip and Go. And I found one called Zip Genius. Actually, it's a pretty neat program. It lives up to its name by handling compression and extraction for nearly all compression file types. Supports all versions of Windows, all the way from Windows 95 up through Vista (32-bit only). Zip Genius offers a suite that offers extra features such as skins and add-ons. The cost of the extra suite version, uh, the same as the basic version, zero dollars. It is a powerful program. Supports more than 20 compression formats. Other programs do support more. But those other formats are so rarely used, you've probably never heard of them. Oddly, it also has a built-in FTP client. That's unusual, but it's a handy addition. And when you create a compressed file, you can add your signature, which consists of your contact information that the person who receives the file can then see and use. ZipGenius supports the creation of self-extracting executable files and also allows you to specify a custom setup, launch, and icon. There's also encryption, support for scanning and compressing photos in a single action, and you can make a slideshow with this program so that it unzips and presents your slideshow. The only limitation is that Zip Genius is available only in English and Italian. And if you read the help file, you'll see that the English version has a definite Italian bent to it. I included one more free Zip utility. This one is not going to appeal to very many people because it is a command line only compression utility. That means you have to open a command line, the old C prompt, to use it. It's powerful, it's fast, but it's not as pretty, not as easy to use as the applications that look like Windows applications. I included it only because there are people who do like command line applications and may want to take a look at it. This week, I wanted to take a look at some questions that have been lobbed onto my desktop in the past week or so. Keyboard shortcuts. This is interesting. I got a question. Is there a keyboard shortcut in Windows 2000 that makes the computer restart? The question was asked by somebody having a problem with the computer just randomly rebooting. In the Windows world, this would be the blue screen of death. In the Mac world, a kernel panic. Well, the person who asked thought the problem was being caused by some hidden key sequence. That wasn't the case. There is no such hidden key sequence. But that got me thinking about how you'd go about shutting a machine down quickly or from a command line, for example, because actually at the time that question was asked, I needed to do exactly that. But first, the question or the answer to the question. The closest you can come to a hidden keystroke that shuts down the computer on the Windows system is Control-Alt-Delete. That will cause the computer to ask you if you want to restart it. So, if the computer randomly reboots, most likely it's suffering some problem with the motherboard, the CPU, or the memory. Now, as for how you might be able to shut down a computer with a few keystrokes. Well, you could create a command and then you could assign that command to a keystroke. For example, you can create a single line command that says shutdown dash r dash f dash t slash. Now, if you're curious, make sure you've got all your files saved before you do that, because if you run that command, what's going to happen is the computer will pause for one second and then shut down. No warnings, no attempts to save any open files, just boom. If you have Windows 2000 installed, you'll probably need the resource kit to be installed. Windows XP does not need a resource kit to use shutdown. Question about listening to radio on the computer. It used to be that listening to the BBC required a shortwave radio, but then the service became available full-time or part-time on some U.S. radio stations. For example, in Columbus, WCBE, the Columbus Board of Education station, runs the BBC from midnight until 5 a.m. Probably has a lot of listeners. And the service also is available on the Internet. So the question was, I'd like to listen to the BBC on iTunes as one of the radio station entries. But when I add the link, it doesn't play. What am I doing wrong? Well, what you're doing wrong is you're using the wrong program. iTunes offers some radio stations and a lot of podcasts. TechBiter Worldwide is just one of them. But iTunes can't play a real media stream, and that's what the BBC uses. According to the BBC website, there are no plans to make the Listen Again programs or live radio streams available in iTunes. The radio player is currently the only way to listen to other BBC radio shows broadcast in the past seven days. However, the BBC went on... You can download a limited number of radio programs from iTunes as podcasts. To find out more about which programs are available, visit the BBC Download and Podcast Trial Information page. And if you'd like to do that, visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you'll find a link right there to the BBC. If you want to listen to the BBC live, you'll need the Real Media Player. And the BBC website and the TechBiter Worldwide website has a link to that. We are right in the midst of travel season, and a listener who was about to leave on a vacation trip asked, I'm wondering if there's any way to provide password security for the laptop in case it is stolen. Yes, I know, preventing theft is better. So the next question is, how's the best way to secure it when not in the hotel room? Are hotel rooms basically okay to leave stuff in, and do they have any insurance for theft? Not too long after that, an acquaintance asked if it would be okay to leave a notebook computer in a car while the family was at the beach well those two questions work together rather nicely my most frequent trips are to new york city and i typically stay in one of three bed and breakfasts that i found in harlem so generally i just leave the notebook on the desk hotels are also generally safe i usually do take along with me an insecurity cable that's one of those things with the little hook that locks into the computer case and then you wrap it around something like maybe a table or a chair leg there are lots of problems with those first of all the locks can be picked in about five seconds by anybody who knows how those who don't know how can simply cut the cable and those who forgot to bring along cable cutters can just break whatever you've attached it to assuming you found anything in the hotel room that you can attach it to and that's becoming increasingly difficult Hotels specifically disclaim all responsibility for anything left in the room. They'll offer to hold the computer for you in the office. You can take it there and have them secure it for you. Theft might be covered under your homeowner's insurance. If not, there are specialized businesses such as SafeWare. You'll find a link to their website from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Companies like that specialize in computer insurance. Now, how about leaving a computer in a hot car? Well, that can be dangerous or Not dangerous at all. Disregarding the theft angle. I mean, for example, you wouldn't just leave the computer sitting in plain view on the seat. So I wanted to concentrate on what heat might do to the computer on a hot summer day. The most fragile part of the computer is undoubtedly the LCD screen, and extreme heat can damage the screen. If you have a car with a trunk, The trunk is going to be a lot cooler than the passenger compartment. Passenger compartments can easily hit 130 degrees or more if they're sitting in the sun and the windows are rolled up. That's because of all that radiant heat from the sun. The trunk does get warm, but the computer will probably survive in the trunk, particularly if you manage to park in the shade. But what if you have a vehicle that doesn't have a trunk, an SUV, for example? Well, in that case, you could consider doing what photographers used to do, and probably still do. Take along a cooler. Styrofoam coolers are widely available for less than 10 bucks, and you can just put the computer in the cooler. You might even use a couple of those special blocks you put in the freezer compartment overnight that stay cold. You'd put them in the bottom of the cooler and pile some towels on top of them so the computer doesn't actually touch them. Now keep in mind here, you're not trying to keep the computer cold. You're not even trying to keep it cool. You're just trying to keep it unhot. You don't want it to get too much above 100 degrees. If you get the computer too cool, moisture is going to condense both outside the computer and inside it when you take it out of the case, and you don't want that to happen. So, if the computer will be in an unattended car for only a short time, you probably won't need the cooling blocks. Time for nerdly news. This week, a federal judge told Christopher William Smith that he's going to be spending the next 30 years in prison because he operated a pharmacy that illegally distributed drugs sold by spam. In all, the 27-year-old Smith sold some $24 million worth of prescription drugs. The long prison term was partly in response to Smith's continued defiance of judicial orders to shut down his operation and his propensity to make death threats against witnesses. Express Pharmacy of Minnesota was the business that Smith ran. A man who once worked the phones for the operation got three years probation and was sentenced to 80 hours of community service. Selling drugs on the Internet must be profitable. Calling Smith a drug kingpin, the government seized some of Smith's automobiles. How many? Ah, 17. 17 automobiles. Just some of his automobiles. Not all of them, just some. It sold those cars at auction in 2006 for more than $1.6 million. So these 17 cars weren't exactly Ford Festivas with 90,000 miles on them. See you later, Mr. Smith. Have a pleasant three decades. You want a free office suite from Microsoft? Well, that might happen. Microsoft plans to install free versions of Works. On some manufacturers' PCs starting later this year or maybe early next year. Now, these aren't going to be the top of the line models, and the special version of Works will be Adware, supported by embedded advertisements. This will begin with Works version 9.0. It's scheduled to launch before the end of the year, so in Microsoft terms that means sometime in 2008. Works includes a word processor and a spreadsheet. That's all. Microsoft hasn't said which PC makers will host Works. The usual retail price of the package is only $40. This might be an effort to counter inroads made by the free OpenOffice, but OpenOffice, in addition to being free, has a word processor, a spreadsheet, no ads, a graphics application, a presentation application, and even a semi-functional database application. Another competitor, and probably the one that Microsoft really has its eye on, is Google. Google has a web-based word processor and spreadsheet application, and this allows people to collaborate easily online on projects. As web technology gets better and better, and as more people install high-speed connections, web-based applications will become more viable. Clearly, that has Microsoft's attention. I have said before that zero tolerance equates to zero intelligence and zero common sense. Well, it's happened again. A girl and her boyfriend went to a movie. They had a camcorder with them because the girl was celebrating her birthday. She has a younger brother, and she wanted to show him a few seconds of the movie they were watching. The movie they were watching was Transformers. She wanted him to go see it, too. Well, the theater manager called police, and now she is facing a $2,500 fine and up to a year in jail. Let's look at this. Yeah, it is illegal to videotape a movie you're watching. But 20 seconds of the movie? And when the intent is to show a sibling who will then pay to go see the movie? An assistant manager saw the illegal act. And according to the Washington Post, he then reported it to the manager... Who called the police, who arrested the girl. Now, if the assistant manager had used any common sense, he would have simply told the couple that videotaping a movie is illegal. They would have stopped. That would have been the end of the story. If the manager had used common sense, he would have told the assistant manager to tell the couple that videotaping a movie is illegal. They would have stopped, and that would have been the end of the story. If the police had used common sense, they would have told the couple that videotaping a movie is illegal. The couple would then have stopped, and that would have been the end of the story. And now, throwing all common sense out the window, Regal Cinema's Balston Common 12 has decided that it wants the county to prosecute the case. Yes, illegal pirating of films costs the film industry some serious cash. But 20 seconds to show the girl's brother... Why he should pay Regal Cinema's Balston Common 12 to see the movie? There is a word for this. Perhaps two. They both end the same way. One of them starts with bull. The other starts with chicken. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August fifth, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.